So let's get into this. The prophetic, um, how to work with the prophetic word. The first thing I just want to say is, and again, some of you are saying, I didn't receive a prophetic word. How does this apply to me? Stick around. You will receive a prophetic word. Uh, it, it, this is part of church life. And so how to work with that? Well, especially in the case with Hilton, who is a five-fold New Testament prophet. He has the gift of a prophet. Uh, it's a little bit weightier. We really need to know how to work with it. The first thing I want to say is the prophetic is to posture your heart with expectation for something that God sees and you do not. It's to posture your heart with expectation. Hilton himself said on Wednesday night, it is not that the prophetic comes first and then God gives you faith for something. It should be that you have been sensing something from God. The prophetic just kind of confirms it. But the prophetic is for the purpose of getting your heart to kind of lean towards something that God sees because what God does in the earth happens through the agreement and faith of human beings. He has chosen to do what he wants to do in the earth through us. And for us to be able to partner with God, we need to see what he sees and simply believe it. He actually is the one who supplies the energy and the ability to do it. We just need to agree. How many of you know sometimes that's easier said than done? If we're for real. So the prophetic is a gift to help stir something. And really it boils down to a humility of heart of childlike faith, of being able to say yes. Now, every time somebody gives you a prophetic word, doesn't mean it's God, by the way, right? You have to test these things. Even somebody of the nature of Hilton, who is a recognized prophetic voice to the body of Christ, it doesn't mean he's 100% accurate every time. So you still have to weigh it in your own relationship with the Lord. Lord, what does this mean? But the, pro the role of the prophetic is to stir expectation in your heart so that you lean towards something that God has ordained. I want to say this, and I said on Wednesday night, we have an active role in working with the prophetic. I'll read this scripture to you, 1 Timothy 1 verse 18. Paul the apostle says this to his spiritual son Timothy, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies. Can you say prophecies? According to the prophecies, we're talking about the prophetic here, right? By the way, is the prophetic evidently a New Testament function? According to the scripture, he's talking about it as, it's an, as though it's an ordinary course of church life. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Waging warfare is active, correct? That's something you do. You wage warfare, and Paul is saying the prophecies are something of a of an arsenal. It's something of a weapon given to you by God to wage warfare. Well, the warfare that we war in this world is a warfare of faith. We are not fighting each other. We're not fighting sinners. We're not fighting. We are fighting a fight of faith. This is why John the Apostle says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Prophecies help stir faith in God's what God says, what God's will is. So that's how we wage warfare with prophecies is we hold them before the Lord. We, keep, we pray over them. We contend for them. We, um, we trust for them even when the exact opposite seems to be happening. I guarantee you, if you receive a prophetic word, 
probably what is going to happen right after that is the exact opposite. You know, Joseph was promised to be in, a, in authority and leadership over his own family. What's the very next thing that happened after he had that prophetic dream? His family, his brothers, beat him up, rip his clothes off, toss him into a pit, and sell him as a slave to the Egyptians. <laughs> you know? It's not exactly the fulfillment of the prophetic word. It happened years later that everything that was prophesied to Joseph through that prophetic dream actually came to pass. You follow? So the prophetic stirs expectation. We do have an active role. It ignites faith. If you, if you have a scripture, a Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And I want to look at another prophetic experience that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had when visited by an angel who came to her with a message from God, which is the essence of what prophecy is, and just kind of work through these couple verses, starting in verse 28, again, of Luke chapter uh, 1, um, to look at what we're talking about here in regards to the prophetic. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, again, Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, Blessed are you among women. Hit pause there. The prophetic word that came to Mary started with these words that made her feel special. Blessed are you among women. Rejoice, highly favored one. I want to start right there. The prophetic is supposed to do that. I saw last week uh, Penny receive a prophetic word. I, uh, Josh received a prophetic word. Cam was here last week receiving a prophetic word. Uh, the Steenbergs. There's something when God speaks to you and kind of reads your mail and causes you to, and speaks into the things that are so central to your life, it, and it makes you feel special. And do you know that that's good? You know, my sons, I want them to feel special. I want them to know that they know they are special. I want them to go charging into this world as an adult knowing they are special. That's the heart of the Father. You know the heart of the Father feels the same way about you. Right? So the prophetic stirs this thing of I'm seen. I'm known by God. God has a plan for me. He knows me. In the midst of all this crud that I'm walking through, God sees this plan and he's speaking into my life. And it kind of pushes your shoulders back and raises your chin. And hey, you know what? I'm not some grade B Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm not arrogant, but I'm, I'm loved. Do you follow what I'm saying? The prophetic does that. Uh, uh, highly favored one. I would want to say to you, even right now as we're right here, receive that even right now from the Lord. That you are special. God sees you. He calls you out. He has a plan for you. Let's go into this next verse, verse 29. But when she saw him, uh, she was troubled. Again, Mary, if you don't know, she was uh, a teenage girl who had never been with a man sexually and was uh, uh, engaged to be married to Joseph. She was an ordinary person. There was nothing special about her. She probably felt that way. She's visited by an angel who calls her the highly favored of God and blessed among all women. And you can imagine the way she's feeling. And she considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and she shall call his name Jesus. Second point that I want to make to you about the prophetic. Every time you receive a prophetic word, 
it is to birth the purposes of Jesus to bring forth Jesus through you into the world. I hope that's making sense. The body of Christ, you, the church, is just that. The body of Christ. We are being formed and fashioned into Jesus on earth. Are you aware of that? Can I get a witness? And so the prophetic is calling out that part of Jesus in you that may take a whole heap of faith to trust for, but it's still put in there by you, and it's calling it out. And so it's to bring forth Jesus into the earth. The same Mary, in a sense, is just a picture of the church, impregnated with the life of God within her to bring forth into this earth Jesus. Am I making sense? Some of y'all are like, okay, I'm getting a little, I'm not, I'm not pregnant, okay? I'm not, I don't want to get pregnant by God. Just, just hear what we're saying. So verse, uh, thir- that's the verse 31. Let's move on to verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of God, the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And then, uh, Next verse, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? In case you're not familiar with what she's saying there, I've never had sex is what she's saying. Can I be blunt? Uh, She probably knows a man because she's engaged to one. Okay, so how can I become impregnated with this man you speak of who's going to be called the Son of God without me ever having had relations in that sense with a man? Next point that I want to bring out here for us is prophecy is going to call us to trust for and believe the unnatural. (laughs) Because what God does, he does so that it's clear that he did it and no man can do it. He is calling us to walk by faith. Prophecy is a tool to help us walk by faith, and faith is trusting in something that cannot be naturally discerned or seen, but is spoken by God and we believe it. And it's, it, it makes sense that Mary's response was, how can this be? She starts looking at the natural and deducting, this is impossible. How many of you have ever done that in response to what God wants to do? Well, God, how is this going to, who am I to do this? I can't preach. I can't do this. Who are, you're not going to, I, I can't do it. That's the way we think. I don't have enough money. They're not going to listen to me. All that stuff. And that's, even Mary, the mother of Jesus, did the same thing. How can this be? This is impossible. Are you following? This is the importance of the prophetic. It speaks into you, and and you just have to believe. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know how or what. All you need to know is what the angel Gabriel said to Mary right after this. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will. Not your strength, wisdom, and finances, the Holy Spirit will do this. When God wants to speak to you prophetically, who's going to bring it to pass? The Holy Spirit. 
Get your focus off of yourself and natural circumstances, in other words, and onto the power of the one who spoke the all creation into being. He is more than able to fulfill what he prophesies over you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will. So how is this going to come to pass? The Holy Spirit and the power of the highest, God himself, will overshadow you. I just want to say you cannot make prophecy happen. Prophecy is not to give you an instruction. Now, go do this. It's to get you to lean your heart with expectation towards this thing. To start asking for something. To start trusting and believing for something. But at the end of the day, you don't make it happen. It, the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High does it. That what God does in the earth would be giving him glory and not our own selves. And we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt, he did it, not us. We just believed. That was our role. By the way... Do you know when Jesus said what the work that we should do on the earth is? That's a pretty good question. Like, what is the work that believers in Jesus should be doing here on the earth? You know what he said it is? To believe. <laughs> That's in the book of John. Believe. That's what he's called us to do. I'm not saying that there aren't actions associated with belief, but we don't act instead of belief. We act from the belief that he gives us. I digress. The Holy Spirit will, therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. If you would skip down to the 38th verse, it says, Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. Jesus, the Son of God, the most important thing of all creation, was born because of this moment right here. And what did it require? It required someone on earth hearing the message of God, believing it. And the Christ could then come forth. And it's the same story in the church today. God is wanting to speak to his people, you and me, that we would believe. And if we would believe and say what Mary said, behold the servant of the Lord. In other words, here I am. Look at me. I'm, I'm your servant. Let it be done to me according to what you have said. That's your role. Your role is not to make it happen. Your role is to say, yes, I believe I'm trusting. And what he has purposed can come forth. Amen? So let's look briefly at some of what Hilton shared with us with regards to personal prophetic things that he was carrying for us as a local church as well as the corporate Three things with regards to personal application, you can hear this for your own personal life, is that Jesus wants to meet us in our fear, in our being betrayed, number two, and thirdly, in our wandering. How many of you have fears? Come on now. If you don't have fears, you're probably not human. This is a real thing, and, but... but it would seem that as he carried our church, Hilton, on his heart, praying for us, preparing what he felt God was saying to us, God wanted to say that. That Jesus meets us in our fears. Jesus, when he died, it went down into the tomb before the disciples saw him resurrected. They were in fear. And just put yourself in their shoes. Three and a half years of following this guy, Jesus, they put all of their eggs into his basket. They left their career, they left everything to follow him, and he has just died, 
making them look like the biggest fools on the planet. Am I right? And they had so much so they had forgotten even the words that he said that he was going to be resurrected. And then this picture in Matthew 28 of Jesus appearing in resurrected form. And what does he say when he appears? Fear not. It is I. So Jesus, in the same way that he met Mary Magdalene, met the disciples, Jesus, in our fear, is wanting to meet us. And Hilton was saying, he doesn't want to just send a message. He doesn't want to just kind of, you know, write you a letter to say, hey, fear not. He himself wants to meet you and me in our fears. The other thing would be your betrayals. Where have you been betrayed? Just like Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane by uh, Judas. And then thirdly, the wandering, in our wandering, just like the lost coin in Luke chapter 15, where the lady is looking all over for it, and, and all of heaven rejoices when one lost soul is saved. And, and sometimes us as Christians can even start to wander from Jesus. And some of us may be wandering. And so Jesus is wanting to say, I meet you in your fear, anywhere you're betrayed, and anywhere where you're wandering. I want to just say, from a pastoral perspective, and again, I'm not preaching from this point forward. I'm digesting with us as a church and helping us process what God seems to be speaking. I want to ask us a few questions. What are your fears? And please be real and genuine and honest with the Lord and yourself right now. What are your fears? What are those debilitating things that you're carrying like a weight that make you feel gloom and despair? and fear about the future. What is, what is the fear? And receive, even right now, that Jesus wants to actually meet you there. That, that fear, that those circumstances, that that thing that has happened is actually opportunity from his side to meet you and to show his greatness if you will allow him to meet you in that place with expectation. I'm responding in my own personal life to that promise this week. That the fears I'm carrying, opportunity for Jesus. Have you been betrayed? I want to ask you that. I can guarantee you in the course of church planting, and I'm not trying to get too vulnerable or too, but, but yeah, we have experienced some betrayal, and I'm sure everyone in here probably has experienced some betrayal. You know, Jesus knows that. Jesus knows the betrayal that you faced, and he's saying to us, I want to meet, I want to meet with you. Or, have you wandered? Are you lost? I didn't say, have you ever confessed Jesus as your Lord? Where are you today? Are you wandering? Are you lost? If so, the message is, Jesus is pursuing you, and he wants to meet you and he wants to, and any of those three things, fears, betrayals, or lostness, wandering, he wants to show his testimony as you meet him. Could I maybe ask for us to, if you're, if, you, if, you, if you're comfortable with it, maybe just to shut your eyes right now. I don't want to go even a step further without being real with the Lord and just responding to him in that, even right now. Your fears, as in right now, and <clears throat> obviously not, out loud, but from your heart, maybe if you want to whisper it, acknowledge what your fears are. Acknowledge them to him. And to receive the truth that he's saying to you right now, I want to meet you there.
fear not. Just like the resurrected Christ met Mary Magdalene, that was his message to her. Fear not. It is I. I am alive. What you're fearing doesn't even, isn't isn't even relevant. I am so victorious. You stick with me. I'll show you. What about your betrayals? What about your wandering? Whatever that is, just voice it to him right now. Lord, we, we acknowledge our fears, our fear of not having enough, our fear of not knowing what to do, our fear of whatever it is, Lord. You know every circumstance. I pray, Father, even those in this room, if we don't know what we're fearing, that you would bring it to the surface that we could even see and acknowledge it and receive you. We receive you into that place of our betrayal, of our wandering. We receive you. Thank you, Jesus, that you want to meet with us. Can you receive that in faith, that Jesus wants to meet you? Amen. So let's move on to the corporate. And before we do that, I just want to say this, or as we do that, that that shift that he made of the personal application to the collective corporate, the church, that in and of itself is so important. So much in Christianity, so many Christians, if I can say it that way, live their entire Christian lives with the mindset of my life and I go to church. When in fact what Jesus is building is a church made up of many members and as long as we're thinking of our life as my little thing and hey, I'll kind of volunteer to show up on Sunday, you know, I don't know, what's the average in America? It's like once, what, two, twice every five weeks or something, I don't know. I'll, I'll show up on Sunday, maybe I'll volunteer for a little stuff, but at the end of the day it's my life. And the reality is the church will never be the church that Jesus has called us to be until we own the collective and realize that my life fits into a context of something that Jesus is building. And once we understand that, it becomes so much easy to lavish upon Jesus of our time, our treasures, and our talents into the collective of what Jesus is building because that is the purpose of my life. And if I'm not doing that, I'm missing the mark altogether because I don't have a silo, independent call of God on my life. I've got a call that fits into connectivity with something bigger than myself called the local church. And even us as a local church don't stand alone as, as an entity unto itself. We are connected to something larger than us. As a first rung of connectivity, for us it's New Covenant Ministries International, an apostolic team spanning the globe. We're not in some kind of Um, contractual relationship with this entity, we are in partnership at a relational level, sowing of our time, treasures, and talents to help other churches thrive. And they're doing the same with us. We good? If that is going to happen at a local level, the church must think us, not me. And uh, and so I just want to say a couple thoughts around that. Or, or one thought, really. How do we do that? How can you make that shift? I would say one is falling radically in love with Jesus. If we're trying to do the Christian thing because it's the good thing to do, we're going to fail at some point. At some point, it's the one who died for you 
being smitten with the love that sent him to a cross that causes our heart to want to give everything back to him in response. And I encourage you, cultivate that, receiving that love from Jesus and giving it back to him. Yielding everything to his leadership because he's worthy. But then from that place, number two, is that we carry what he carries even while we have problems. Most of us are waiting to do things for other people when it suits us. I'll be generous when I have more than enough. Thanks, brother. I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll give my time when I have more time. It'll never work. It won't ever work. Can I tell you something of the history of ourselves? Border City Church, when, this, when we were planted... There was a church called Santon City Church who lavishly sent resource finance to help get this thing started. 614 Church in Columbus, Ohio supported us for the first couple months, sent people across to kind of help with various things. Anthem Church in, in Chicago came across, has visited us like 10 or 11 times since this church was planted just, just to be with us, just to be a shot in the, in the arm just to give strength, just to stand with us and be present. And, and also financially supported uh, the church for a good while. Um, who am I missing? There's a New Day Church in Johannesburg. Uh, there are loads of support came from, from that church. There were all these churches that were supporting the birthing of this church here in Detroit. You know what's interesting about all those other churches? While they were doing that, every single one of them had their own problems. They had pastoral issues that were larger than life. One of them had a suicide in the church that was happening during that time. None of them felt like they had budget to help, if we're being real. Why did they do that? Because they are connected to the one who is committed to getting this gospel into every person on this planet. And spare no expense as we do that, he will be with us. That's how we do it. And what we have received, we have a collective privilege, not responsibility, privilege of now giving. While we have problems, while there's stuff going on in my marriage, while there's stuff going on in my finances, while I'm not sure about my job situation right now, while my kids are causing all, while all that is happening, Above all of it is the call to go make disciples. That is what we do while we have problems. You know what that's going to require? Taking off the nappy, the diaper. We got to move on to living for others rather than ourselves. It doesn't mean that we're going to stop having our own things to take care of so that we can live for others. While we have our own stuff, we start living for others. Good. My, my, uh, my phone went off here. So, <clears throat> I want to encourage us with that. Thank you for the okay, Penny. Quickly review, and be, before we have communion and just kind of pray into some of this stuff, I just want to review the nine things that he, that Hilton specifically spoke into us prophetically, collectively, not personally, collectively, as a church, as well as kind of five directional things that he gave us that he feels that we need to do. The first thing, and I'm going to go through these things quickly, is that he's meeting us in our place of perseverance. 
we've remained steadfast and resilient in uh, perseverance. What, from a pastoral perspective, what do I feel uh, God's saying to us with that? What do I feel like we need to do with that? I just want to say uh, some of us, and I know for a fact there are many in this church, some of you who aren't here this morning, who have had to suffer perseverance in being a part of what God's doing here. There's been lengthy waiting. There's been kind of like the psalmist says, Lord, how long? <laughs> and yet there's this sense of God's doing something, but Lord, when? When are we going to see the stuff that, that we know is in our hearts? And I believe that the Lord is simply wanting to say, I see that. It does not go unnoticed. And he affirms it. So I just want to speak to that. It's seen and affirmed. Number two, he's desiring uh, to do miracles. Hilton had a dream. Some of you may remember he had a dream of three men in wheelchairs coming into Border City Church and then leaving, walking, and the wheelchairs being gone. Very simply, two things that I feel that we need to do. Number one, you remember what prophecy does? It stirs expectation. It gives us something to lean into. You guys remember that? You still with me? Why don't we lean into that? Can we believe that? People in wheelchairs, people in, with terminal illness, whatever the case may be, that this would be a place, uh, not this building per se, but you and I, the church, would be a, a people where the miraculous flows through. Can we lean into that, trust for that, but also be ready to be a part of it? Do you know, nowhere in the scripture does it say only the ordained elders and preachers are the ones who can flow in the spiritual gifts. Jesus, the head of the church, said, these signs will follow them that believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. <laughs> you don't have to be ordained to believe. You have to believe to believe. And if you believe in this room, you qualify to operate in the miraculous. So let's be ready to be a part of it. Number three, where we see lack he sees provision. He heard these words, provision, provision, provision. We've been, as a church, generous where others wouldn't have been. Our generosity will be our mark for eternity. I know for a fact that there has been extreme, serious generosity that has happened through this church, sowing where there is nothing in return, sowing when there isn't anything to give, leaping in faith and over and over and over generosity not necessarily just finances but certainly including finances to to be a part of what God is doing even when we don't feel like we have it and what 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 I think pastorally we need to take from that I just want to say I think it's important I think that God's wanting to say I like that and he's wanting to say provision 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 that doesn't go unseen, that if you, where, where you reap, you'll sow. And the scripture says, to the degree that, huh? Yeah, where you sow, you will reap. Thank you, wife. Um, where you sow, you'll reap. And to the same measure that you sow, you will reap. And I want to be a people who sow extravagantly. Why? Because Jesus sowed extravagantly when he was nailed to the cross for my, on my behalf. 
I want, I, I want to, it should be natural to want to give him everything. You know, people who argue with tithing, is it New Testament, Old Testament? I argue with tithing. Is it New Testament, Old Testament, giving 10% of your income into the work of the kingdom? But not from the standpoint of, do I have to give 10%? I argue from a New Testament perspective, shouldn't we be giving at least 10%? We should, we should be extravagant. The New Testament, they were giving everything. So I, be freed from the law, sure, but we should be giving more than they were giving in the Old Testament. Extravagant giving. Let it be said of us as a church. And perhaps you've never really been touched with kind of that lifestyle. I would say let the Lord uh, bring you into that. We, this call that God has for us comes by way of generosity. God so loved the world that he gave. And he's going to fulfill his purposes through the church, through a church that gives the way he gives. Uh, f- number four, incredible boldness in the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, Hilton felt that the Lord wants to match our boldness that is already inside of us with his commitment to spreading the gospel. In other words, to the degree that we allow that boldness to come forward through us, that he wants to meet us in that place and match it with his power to make things happen and to spread the gospel. And so I want to encourage us. There is a wave, a tidal wave flowing through the church right now of empowering and activating believers into great commission ministry. I didn't say being awesome at preaching, doing what I'm kind of doing, even though I'm not really preaching right now. I'm talking about you, your ordinary self, being active in the lives of other people to bring Jesus to them. Every single one of us. And the boldness that comes uh, from that or in that is not us being arrogant or like in your face. In fact, if you're a believer, please try not to do that. I mean, that actually would turn me off if I wasn't a believer and even as a believer. The boldness comes from connecting with the love that sent Jesus to a cross when I know that this person is dying without what God himself died to provide. What faces them in eternity if they don't believe and yet what God has given provision for them if they can believe, that should motivate me with a boldness like a firefighter entering into a fire building to rescue that baby in there. There should be a boldness that is motivated by saving love. And that is our commission. He also says um, he saw pop-up churches, which is profoundly interesting because during the COVID season, he doesn't know this, we literally were doing pop-up church and trying to kind of find a place where we could meet and just kind of meeting. But I won't go into this too much for time's sake, but I do just want to say... I believe on the horizon what God is saying is that it's not all about this Sunday morning gathering in this particular building. That if we're thinking of reaching the people in our whole region, that we need to seize opportunities to uh, find expressions of church that may be totally untraditional. It could be in a school building or in in a school it could be uh, gathering together for prayer and scripture reading in an office. It could be renting a facility in Bloomfield Hills that happens to not use the, what they do on Sunday and we can start reaching people in that area, which, by the way, is going to require manpower and finance. Are we willing to do something like that for the sake of reaching other people? You following? 
so I believe that we should, what should we do with this as a church? Lean in and expect that God wants to send us to be reaching regionally and find ways of reaching different communities in different creative ways. And just be motivated by his love to be a part of that. Uh, fifthly is blessing and unity. Uh, he was uh, speaking of our genuine community, being genuine in our fellowship. How many of you have ever been to one of our community groups before? I heard over and over and over people talking about the genuineness, how we're just real. I feel like the Lord wants to point that out, obviously, and to affirm it. We have one community group right now. In my heart, we have 2,000 community groups. I want to see it multiplied over and over and over. Let it never fizzle out to becoming disingenuous. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be real. Let's, even those of you who lead, please, let's not get into Bible study mode and like our scripted questions and everything. We're talking. We're having relationship and communication. Let's be real. Let's be genuine. Uh, sixthly, is meet us in fervent prayer. Uh, there's a new level of dependence upon prayer. You're actually returning back to a dependence upon prayer. Prayer is the breakthrough key. And what I would just want to say to us is let us never see corporate prayer as the optional extra for deluxe Christians. Uh, let's make it the number one most important part of church life. I actually plan on speaking this week with my wife, Minda, before we take it before the elders, before we take it to the larger leadership team, uh, to, to say how can we get to where prayer, corporate, corporate prayer, is the built, starting building block of church life before Sunday morning, before community group. That corporate prayer is the most important. Everything springs out of that. Most churches, probably about around the country, I would say maybe you, you call a corporate prayer meeting and about... 20% of the church actually shows up. Um, and I don't want to put pressure on anybody, but that, if, if, you, if we're not committed to corporate prayer, it simply means that we, we don't believe what prayer does. If we actually saw what prayer does, you would be skipping work to get to the corporate prayer meeting, skipping dinner to get to the corporate prayer, skipping sleep to get to the corporate prayer meeting. And let's see that for what it is. We really don't believe in corporate prayer. We just don't believe it if we're not a part of it. Because once you see what it does, you, it's insanity to, to, to not depend upon it heavily, both corporately as well as um, uh, individually. I once had a, a, a mentor lady in, in our life make the profound comment that prayerlessness is the greatest evidence of human pride. Number seven, uh, border city church transcending the borders. We are border city church, transcending the borders of every cultural, ethnic, and racial boundary. I love some of the evidence of that already happening, uh, but I believe that's a, an important part of what God's called us to do, is to kind of cross those lines that ought not be crossed the awkwardness that exists in crossing that boundary because God wants his family to be one. And even though we are different, we've got different race, ethnic, cultural issues going on and generational issues, there is a beauty when we can find the oneness that we have 
uh, in Christ, and I believe it's God's raising up amongst us a testimony that would be seen by the suburbs of Detroit, that would be seen beyond uh, Detroit, even beyond Michigan, by, seen by nations as a testimony to t- real unity. And as we walk through the realities of what it looks like to actually be in unity, which isn't always easy, can I get a witness, that we gain skills to help that same thing to be perpetuated into other places, to cross geographical borders, go into Canada and and do the same thing, go into wherever else God wants to send us. Eighthly, out of nine, we we all want purpose and meaning, am I right? We all want purpose and meaning for our lives, uh, but God's saying use the talents and gifts that he's given us to serve one another. And you can reference Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, the grace gifts that God has given to every member of the church. Each of us have been given gifts, and the commendation is use those to serve the whole. He doesn't give you a gift so that you can be put on a pedestal and everybody can see how wonderful your gift is and celebrate your gift. No, your gift is meant to go underneath other people and to serve them and to lift them up. And it's a privilege to be able to do that. In fact, it's the greatest joy of my life is to, is to use what God has given me to help build the church. And the same should be true of every person in this room. So uh, your gift is for the church. And what he asks us to do is to ask questions. In other words, how can I help? What needs to get done? Who needs to get a ride to this place? Who who, what, what food needs to be provided for this? How, how can I help? What, what, who do I need to call? Who, and, and talk to the elders, talk to the leaders. But, but the thing is this. You don't, don't wait for some angel Gabriel to come down and say, Behold, I have called you a prophet to the nations. Start with getting your hands dirty. With needs that exist in the church today. Start with getting busy. Get with the crew and, and help make this stuff happen. And it's in the process of that that what your gift is begins to become evident. But it doesn't happen waiting for your gift to be evident and then I'll serve. You follow? So I want to encourage everybody with that. Let's serve one another. And then lastly is simply that we have a Nehemiah spirit. Uh, we build and we rebuild. And it's just part of who we are. It's just what God's made us to be. Building people's lives and even in the city of Detroit, I mean, we're internationally known in the city as a church, I mean, a, a city that's seen ruin. And that, that has been a reflection not only of things that have happened in the greater society at a governmental level, at an economic level, even at a personal level. And so there is rebuilding that needs to happen. And you and I have been called to partner with Jesus in seeing that happen. I believe that what God wants to do in this city I mean, some of you, I don't want to offend anybody here, but I'm not the one who said it, but are you aware that some people in America say Detroit is the armpit of America? That's kind of the, that's kind of the reputation. I, I didn't say that. Do you hear me? I'm not saying that. Detroit's my home, but that's what kind of Detroit is, is known about. And I can tell you this too. When I was in South Africa and, and I started telling people, you know, we're, we're going to plant a church. We're moving back to America. Oh, really? Where? Detroit. Detroit? Why would you want to move to Detroit? As a side note, what am I doing in Johannesburg? Like, you know, I'm held at gunpoint, you know, at, often living here. But anyway, that's another story. Detroit, why would you want to live in Detroit? I w- God loves to use the things that appear weak in this world to confound the wisdom of the wise that, hi- that his glory would be seen. 
I believe God wants to raise up a testimony from his church in this city to testify of what God can do if people will believe. And that would happen out of this place. And I believe, even as was said, that part of that expression is not only the church being seen, Jesus being seen through the church, but that that reality would actually impact upon the actual life in the city. I'm audacious enough to say that because that's another thing that Hilton said. In other words, that the result of the church being in the city would impact the very city itself. Not because of how great the church is. In fact, quite the opposite. It's in spite of how not great we are, we just believe. He's great, and he can do great things through people who believe. And so five things real quick. You still with me? Five things. I just want to read them off of things that he kind of almost directional gave us, you know, things to do. Number one, celebrate every move of the miraculous no matter how small. We need to celebrate it by speaking it. Every single little thing that God does as a testimony needs to be spoken out. So I want to encourage all of us in conversation with one another, in community group, here on Sunday morning, we need to be giving airplay, even if it seems so small, because the whole point is that testimonies build faith, which lead to more testimonies, which lead to bigger testimonies, bigger faith leading to bigger testimonies, leading to ultimately three crippled men coming into Border City Church and leaving without their wheelchairs. We need to celebrate every single thing. Celebrate. If God did it, it's worthy of being celebrated big time. Number two is be collective and connective in everything. Everything that we do, do it with others in the church. If I'm you know, if Mickey's going to, to the store to get this thing and helping make this thing happen, Mickey should be thinking, who can I rope in with me to bring them into this because it's creating a culture of community and service and uh, servanthood. If I'm preaching, I should be thinking, who can I be bringing into that space with me to begin teaching them how to prepare a message, how to deliver a message, how to read through the scripture and organize your thought. I, you follow what I'm saying? If you're leading a community group, be bringing people in. If you're, sir, whatever you do, be connective with it and collective. Number three, be concerned with what we're cultivating. In other words, being intentional with cultivating. Cultivating the things that God's called us to, of leadership, of the prophetic, of community, of genuineness, of all of that. Uh, fourthly, be creative. Uh, uh, a create, for the creative people and the, you know, artsy, artsy people and creative people. I think of Mickey. I think of John David. Be creative. Mickey, I want to say, like, I think we need to rethink so much of what you do in the church and, and be thinking, what is the creative expression that just flows from you and have you do that? And be freed, in some cases, from things that aren't necessarily what you have to be doing because other people can be doing that. John David, let's unleash the artistic gifting. Do you guys have creative stuff? This guy customized a shoe I saw on YouTube. I mean, who knows what kind of expressions could be coming out and that we just put ourselves in this little church box and think that it doesn't fit. No, man, we need painting. We need to commission you to do paintings, right? Paint your circles, bro. 
your black and white circle stuff. I don't know, you with your YouTube channel or whatever. Like, we need to be thinking, how do these gifts serve what God is doing and release it and celebrate it and run with it? Um, and then lastly is compassionate, encouraging to one another all the time. And I loved how he ended it there. It's almost as though in the same way Jesus, as we be, where we began, Jesus meets us in our fear, in our betrayal, in our wandering. Let's us be those people to meet other people in their places of weakness. Let's be those people to others. Let's be Jesus to others, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> You're not replacing Jesus. The Jesus in you, let him meet that person through you. Be compassionate. Carry one another. Be aware of one another's burdens. Do you know, again, that that means being aware of other people's burdens while you also have your burdens? You want to know what being a leader in the church is like? It's like having all sorts of problems, but spending your time caring for others and theirs. So let's, let's, let's cultivate that as a lifestyle. Caring for other people. I think the most appropriate way to respond to all of this, and again, I think that this was certainly a different Sunday, but I think it's good just to reflect on how do we work with the prophetic. Um, because God's taking us places, guys. God is taking us. There is a mission. And maintenance of what exists today is not the mission. We need to be stretched. In order for us to get where we're going, we've got to be stretched. We've got to adjust. We, uh, there is stuff that needs to happen. I carry the privilege, but also the burden of, as a leader, to see what needs to happen and start leading in that direction. But I'm excited about what God wants to do, big time and motivated even by these prophetic confirmations to align myself and hopefully all of us with, with what God's wanting to do. And I think it would be an appropriate response is to participate in the Lord's Supper.